comic book pit. Okay. Shorter than Jim Rose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a requirement. <laughs> it wouldn't happen any other way. <laughs> yeah, we talked with Jim for a good. That was a, a good bit. We yeah, always, we hour always and have a half a, at least. Yeah, we always have a good talk with Jim. In some yeah, respects, it's the reason I'm here because I was listening to the to the program and it was one of those conversations that I kind of wanted to participate in. Yeah, you know, I yeah. kind of wanted to jump into my computer, <laughs> man, with Gordon Soli comes up, <laughs> comics, Rob Liefeld, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the yeah. 80s black and white boom. Yeah. Why I'm am not, I not a part of yeah, that conversation? Yeah, exactly. Well, we're, we've been talking, so we're just going to... We're here, right? Yeah, we're just here. I mean, we're... We're, we're in. There's no big intro or anything? Oh. Well, let's get into things. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll just, I'm sorry. There is an intro, though. Yes, <laughs> there is. <laughs> I, I just let people know that they're, you know, they're watching and listening to Comic Book Pit. I mean, I'm Dan. That's Scott. Yeah, I'm confused. Either one. It's our it's our guest. It's it's Ed. He's <laughs> he's 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 bedazzled me. Is that what happens? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you say it enough times, I'll start to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we got uh, our uh, our friend, our buddy Ed Pisker, in the studio yeah. tonight. Ed, thanks for being here, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. You know, I uh, as a as a proper cartoonist, I made sure to get here. Uh, plenty of time ahead of my deadline, so to speak. Yeah. So, so I was here an hour early. Oh crap! And no, no, no. It's, it's okay. it, like that's how I roll, kind of. I'm never late. Um, and I was actually kind of lamenting the 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 '90s in a way because if if it was like say 1998 or 1995 or something, if I if I was here, I would be able to uh, bust out the yellow pages, and, and there probably would be some kind of comic shop, some sort of Erzat's comic shop, you know, some guy's yeah. basement where he's, you know, selling a little bit of his comic yeah. collection or right. something like that. I, like, uh, but of course, there's nothing in the neighborhood. But I did wander around a little bit. Okay. And I had no idea that there's like a special effects uh, kind of mm-hmm. workshop just up the block there. So I wandered in there and was checking things oh, out. Awesome. I, was, I was attracted by as I was walking by, there was a there was a human male trunk. Uh, that that's been quartered of its limbs, right right in the doorway with, uh, uh, you know, body hair and all sorts of things. It's very attractive from the road. So so I, so I had to wander in and and just check out the scene. They showed me around a little bit. It's incredibly cool. This nice. is an amazing area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Beachu is kind of a kind of an up and coming little burg. Secret location in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah the, I like uh, it. Yeah, got the between. Uh, the, the the effects studio and Sorgatron. We got like the Beachview Tech Corridor. It's awesome yeah. going on. It's awesome, man. There's should be some cool media coming from this place for sure. Yep. You know they affixed me with a squib, so at any time if you uh, <laughs> if you if you put up a, a little finger gun, okay, blood will shoot out of my neck. <laughs> already, oh my God. already this night is turning out better than I could have hoped. <laughs> 
So let's talk comics, so, man. I want to go yeah, down a yeah. deep nerd rabbit hole. I've, Whoa, I've, I've, okay. I've purposely let's do it, man. Uh, avoided um, a lot of conversation in the recent weeks. So I'm ready okay. to actually talk, and uh, I, I I need this thing to uh, be as nerdy as possible because that's, that's <laughs> oh, kind of like you came to the right place. All right. Right. That's how I get juiced up, man, to just get back to the drawing table. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I gotta situate again. You're. Well, Get that nerd talk right. Well, is there anything is there anything specific yeah. you wanna you wanna lead off with or anything that you wanna that's been on your mind? I mean I mean we'll talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> we always have something we can we can start with and then if you just want to jump in on something else, like just bring up a topic. Well that's kinda how since, we do it. Since so. it's early, I think it would be end it, 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 it would be a bad thing to end with, you know, rest in peace, Steve Ditko. So so let's yeah. let's acknowledge uh the death of a of a, yeah. of a of a comic book legend. Absolutely. Pretty much yeah. the last of his era. Um, you know, with the exception of, I guess, Stan Lee, really. Yeah. Um, so I think that we should we should acknowledge acknowledge the man. Yeah. Um, yeah, Steve, good. Uh, ninety, right? Ninety. Ninety years, years old. old. Yeah. Ninety years old. Uh, you know, his his uh, his office. It, it, it's it's always been in the yellow pages. He's never you know paid the money to to take it out of there. So that that uh, establishment is a kind of a cartoonist's pilgrimage. Uh, you know, if you are in New York and you are in money-making Manhattan, you know, you look up, you you open up the book and, and you see, D- you know, Ditko S, <laughs> you know, on 42nd Street. Oh, wow. And then you got to make the trek uh, because, you know, you go up the stairs, you get in there, you knock, and, you know, he's famously uh, kind of hermetic or however you want to call yeah. it, yeah. 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 monastic. Kind of a, kind of a re- uh, recluse. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And he's not really interested in, uh, you know, marks showing up or whatever. So, you know, you, you knock and, and, and you do what you can to profess your love to him. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you will be turned away yeah. unless, you know, you're Neil Gaiman and Jonathan Ross. I don't know if you guys, you ever see that uh, documentary? No. It's floating around on YouTube. In Search of Steve Ditko, it's called. Oh, I, I didn't right. know about that, yeah. Totally inc- in, in, incredible documentary. I, um, You know, if there's 100,000 views for that thing, so I, I account for at least 10 views. <laughs> I, I, I did read this weekend, or this week, that uh, some people didn't believe that he was a real person. It's, he's become legendary, like a mythological oh, wow. legend kind of character. I didn't hear that. And that there's like only one picture of him floating around, Is and that and that it's like, like a like, lunar landing like, kind of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You're here to say that you you met him in person. <laughs> there there are a very few photos flo- floating around. You know, mm-hmm. all of them are from the the 60s, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But during uh, I guess Wizard World or whatever convention they have at David L. Lawrence Convention Center uh, in, in you know the fall or whatever a year or two ago probably shouldn't mention the cartoonist's name, but but they were visiting, so me, Jim Rugg, Jason Lex, Tom Scioli, we were hanging out, and this dude pulls out the phone, and he's like, I, he's like, take a guess at who this is, and it's like, Steve Ditko, you know, like, you know, a, fo- fo- wow. a photo taken, yeah. you know, this su- last summer or whatever, yeah. you know, and he was looking really good, uh, you know, he looked sort of, did he create the character, uh, the the owl from from Marvel. I don't think so. Maybe not. Just probably like a Gene Colan or something. But uh, yeah, wow. But he had those kind of those yeah, kind of yeah. Harvey Pekarish oh, eyebrows yeah, and did. stuff. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you guys oh checked out his God. black and white comics uh, of, of of recent time? I've seen. Yeah. yeah, I've seen a few. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, yeah. 
pretty pretty crazy. They yeah, they're I mean in a good way. Not like <laughs> they're they're yeah, it's hard to almost even call them comics in a way, but yeah. I just I just am uh, almost like a stream of consciousness. That's a good way to put it. Hmm. That's a good way. You ever see that stuff, Scott? Oh no, I haven't. No. I think Bill Boyshell carries carries okay. those comics at, uh, at Copacetic, and whenever they get a new couple in, I'll, I'll always grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy was making comics to the end, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he was uh, like co-creator, creator of uh, Speedball, right? Like yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. that's like, right. I forgot about which that. Which is, you know, because like that's kind of was my entry age, you know, into comics. So that's kind of what I that that actually is what I thought of first. Which surprisingly, you know, even though he created it. <laughs> You know, Even so many other like, you know, Spider-Man. Oh, just Doctor some other characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was like, oh, Speedball. You know, creator of Speedball. He yeah. went, he went yeah. down. He went deep into the 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 Ayn Rand uh, rabbit hole of objectivism or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. And and but he he kind of over time perverted it into his his own kind of logic. And the characters that he created post Spider-Man, Doctor Strange were somewhat reflective of his ideology. Um, so, you know, you, there's, there's Mr. Ray and, and there's the question, and, mm-hmm. and he has these very rigid ideas about, you know, good and evil. Everything is, is black and white to him. But I do wonder what the heck Speedball is about. <laughs> right. you know, like, like there's Hawk and Dove, and, and, and you get there's the brutal guy, and then there's the pacifist like, wait, or whatever. His, yeah. but, but where's the duality between, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> between you know, in the Speedball character? Right. And, and I actually pose this question to uh, – Shioli, and because you know he, he he's got an answer for 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 everything. Well, like like awesome. like he like he's already thought about it. Oh yeah, you know? oh <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, in two seconds, right. he has an answer for something like that, and he's like, well, you know, uh, children are absolved from the that ideological point of view because they're still growing, they're still learning. So, he, so Ditko would hold the parents to that standard, but but uh, but a child like a, a kid character, he's he's removed from it for a certain point or something. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I thought of it more of like a practical, um, because what, you know, and this is me being dumb, but I, uh, there was like a speedball ink. Yeah. So then like somebody just, you know, one of the guys were just sitting around and like create, started creating this character based on like, well, what, what would that mean, name mean? You know, like, and I almost thought like the name came first and then they created the character, but now that's kind of interesting to hear it in like a reversal that he, maybe he had a, he had his own process about it, and then came up with that. Yeah, I have no, I have like no that's, idea. Like that's that's actually way better than what I thought. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering how they. I mean, again, like you said, I mean, at the time, you know, when when Speedball first came out, like, I mean, I knew of Steve Ditko, but I didn't realize who he was at in like what he meant at that time, like in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And like thinking about it now, like, how did they approach him and say, "Hey, we want you to come up with this." new character and like i wonder if like they just say go you know go nuts go crazy you come up with them or do they give them like guidelines and say this is what we're looking for i I think the cool thing about uh about the any kind of creative medium uh you have you have your 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 bean counters and your administrative types who Mm -hmm. You know, they're the ones who have the health insurance and are a part of the the (laughs) proper company. You know, they are employees of the company. And if they could do what we do, they would do it. Right. So so we kind of we kind of hold the cards for the creative aspect of it. And if you make a hit, they can't really reverse. Try as they may. uh, To reverse engineer that that lightning in the bottle magic, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. Uh, 
it generally has some kind of stink on it of uh, being derivative or corny. Oh, yeah. um, so if you make a blockbuster, gangbuster hit for somebody, they will be willing to allow you to uh, throw a couple things at the wall. You know, you get a, it's mm-hmm. like lives in a video game, and you might you get a couple of shots <laughs> to, uh, to, to recapture right. that energy or something and, uh, because they frankly can't do it. They're bean counters. You know, they sit behind mm-hmm. a damn desk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pushing pushing papers and stuff, you know. So mm. they make they make the back end stuff work. You know, the biz can't happen uh, without them. I guess you know I, I'm I'm quite capable of taking care of my own. Uh, uh, right. I would say I mean you you're 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 a one man wrecking machine. I mean you you just do it all. It's true. It's true. I, w- I would deliver the books to every shop myself if I <laughs> if I could because mm-hmm. just even even uh, relying on freight is. <laughs> nerve-wracking to me yeah. you know like i just want to try to do everything that i can to, to uh to please uh you know my customers man the, the people who support the work and kind of mm-hmm. make it possible for me to keep keep doing it yeah well i mean well, i mean if, if you truly like you said if you truly take ownership of of your work like you said you want to see it through to the end you want to put it you know make sure it gets to where it's supposed to be and yeah i could see that yeah, down to choosing the paper mm-hmm. it's printed on, if possible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's For too sure. it's too bad I can't get into the print the print shops whenever they're uh, <laughs> running off the books every now and then because you know I have advice for those guys too. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever uh, tried that? Have you ever approached anyone to see like to get more into like the uh, the inner workings of the of the printing process? Um. Not not specifically like that. The, probably the closest I, I've ever come was being adamant about once again the the paper that the original uh, Hip Hop Family Tree mm-hmm. graphic novel was was printed on. Um, because when I discovered this this paper, it was um, it was a part of a, a Space Family Robinson uh, Dark Horse reprint. And it was this really toothy, very newsprinty, except yeah. except more substantial. It okay. had a little bit more weight to it. Okay. And I just immediately knew that it was going to be good for for my hip hop comic, the aesthetic that I was trying to get get across. Uh, so I just destroyed the book. I just ripped it apart and, hmm. and sent it around to try to find, you know, oh, the, wow. the proper printers who who assured me that, you know, they could uh, they could get that kind of paper. Oh wow. Um, you know that's the closest I came. Okay. We sit we sit around. You know we're we're making these comic books. Uh, where we're, we're trees are being chopped down, for for our our stuff to, to to hit the shelves and to see the light of day. So it's like we should at least try to make beautiful books, very tactile mm-hmm, mm-hmm. experiences that that people dig, that people enjoy. And there's no greater compliment uh, when. Somebody comes up to my table at a convention or, or sends me a message. Uh, well, you know, the, when I when I see them in person at a convention, to see them kind of stroke the paper or something without <laughs> oh, them even right, knowing it, like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it's a very it's a very subconscious thing. They're they're not even verbally co- commenting uh, yeah. about it or anything like that. But I just see them do that, and I'm like, beautiful compliment, <laughs> because because whether yeah. they know it or not, like they like that was a decision. Right. Right. And they're accepting of that decision. They seem to, they seem to dig it. And and I mean, there's no uh, more tangible evidence of tactility than somebody massaging your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's a that's a, that's an interesting. Yeah, like I said, it's an interesting compliment. Never yeah. thought about that, but that's uh, yeah. I mean, especially if you put that much 
uh, effort and thought into, you know, that that detail. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it does mean something. <laughs> Comics is just an accumulation of, of decision making. You know, there there are decisions uh, that are being made at at at, at every turn, mm-hmm. and the end result is is the accumulation of of all that stuff. So there's a lot of back end toil that that is kind of invisible to to the reader yeah um but very often cartoonists can kind of see uh mm. you know behind the curtain so to speak and those those are the kind of conversations that that seem to come up amongst cartoonists and stuff like mm-hmm. oh you know your spine looked a little uh you know the spine on your book looked about you know a quarter inch to the left uh what happened there and, <laughs> you know it's all education just for for our own purposes since you're here and since it's, I mean, it's coming out soon, we might as well uh, get this, uh, you know, on the table too. But uh, X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis, that's coming out soon, right? Yeah. It is. It actually crept up on me in a way because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on a lot of things at once. Mm-hmm. And by doing all the kind of creative components for, for the X-Men comic, there's just, there's a lot of stuff on, on my plate. So I'm just, I'm just gro- in a groove. You know, I'm just grinding, and the turn of July, it's like, oh, this thing's coming out in like three weeks. <laughs> you know, we send it off to to the publisher. It's it's remarkable how quick the turnaround is for uh, for these these uh, these Marvel comics because uh, my hip hop stuff is uh, you know it's printed in China, mm. so we send it off and then you just forget about it for months. Yeah. There, there are only two ways for right. for a book to get to our shores from China, either very quickly by way of airplane or a very slow very boat slow. that traverses <laughs> the Pacific Ocean. Right. Uh, so that, you know, they choose the latter uh, to bring the stuff over. And, um, you know, you just forget about it for months, and then it's it's ultimately here, and it's all nice. But the turnaround for a Marvel comic yeah. is like two weeks. Really? Wow. Yeah, like I could work on those things darn near up to, uh, up to the minute – you know, like it, it goes to press and, and there's no, there's no, um, the deadlines don't like, it still hits the stores at the time that it's supposed yeah. to hit the stores. Wow. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. So it print, it has to print in less than, so you have two weeks to print it go might to be dis- three. or yeah, to go to distribution and then go out to the stores. Oh yeah. Like yeah. The, the whole, the everything whole after too. It's wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. I just I just uh. put together um, the the last sort of copy edits on on the second issue of Second Genesis. Uh, I can't wait for for people to see it because uh, that the first the first miniseries. Um, I have one here. That I'll just hold it up this way. That, <laughs> there that, you go. That comic was it. was in the can for. A, a year before before it came out, um, so it, the, the art is old to me. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, way better right. now. I've, I've comics is professional comics, like 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 mainstream Marvel, DC. Especially if you're a cartoonist who who makes who does the whole package. It's a weird business because they are frankly paying me to become a way better cartoonist. Uh, mm-hmm. the the way my art is going to look at the end of this tenure, yeah. compared to say the last page of my last Hip Hop Family Tree yeah. comic, the art is just growing up, exponentially, yeah. 
And the art on this next miniseries is, uh, you know, it's really close to, uh, like I said, I, I basically put pencil to paper on the last page of issue two of Second Genesis. You know, it's been maybe two months. Wow. Uh, but that's way different than 12 months, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, like the first book. Uh, so I'm I'm really stoked because I I feel like I started to uh, come into a groove um, on the first issue of Second Genesis because uh, you know this this second issue of the first miniseries where I'm covering the the Jack Kirby period of X Men mm-hmm. uh, up to up to when the series went into um, reprints which is like issue 65 or whatever it right. was yeah. That's a slog, man. Like, like I, I did my best. Like, I, maybe I should explain and not take for granted that, uh, you know, everybody does not know what the heck X Men Grand Design is. So uh, maybe I should explain for a second. And it's just, it's my kind of effort to take all the X Men comics that I know, which is about 280 issues, it's probably a little less. Extinction Agenda is pretty much when I'm jacking out of the Matrix. Yeah. Um, Take all of that material, which becomes very kludgy, very convoluted, because like even in it, even in that span of issues, there's other mini series, and then there's adjacent series that are next to X Men, like a like a X Factor, yeah, or like Excalibur, New Mutants, yeah, New Mutants, many mini series uh, that have their own their own bits that are inflected upon the overall X Men series. Uh, it gets it gets really bogged down. The, you know, there is about 8,000 pages of material there. Yeah. And I love the X-Men. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you're on the, 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 the mutant side of things. Um, I was for a long time. That's That for, was my first. Pretty much for that run, and I bought uh, classic X-Men to catch up. Yeah. yeah. So when I jumped into it, it was about halfway through. the, And then uh, same thing when they went to uh, Jim Lee mm-hmm. and Claremont did it for a while. But that's kind of when I... I started to get like eh, kind of out of this. Right. But, uh, I, I collected a, about 150 issues. I, I started at issue 207, collected up through uh, like 300, maybe a little after. But I and then I went back, you know, and I picked up back issues to fill in. But, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, um, I classic X Men, and then um, mm-hmm. yeah. But after uh, after 300, I kind of it, it, it didn't feel the same for me anymore. Yeah, I hear you. I. I I, pr- I had those issues as well. I called that um, called that inertia of buying <laughs> or in- inertia purchases or something like that. Like you know, you it's become it, it, it was a complete habit for geez the first big batch of my life mm-hmm. that you just kind of stay in that routine for a little while until you're like I'm done, man. Like, <laughs> like you know, Scott Lobdell could take a hike. <laughs> That's right, Lobdell. Yeah, I, I forgot about him. Yeah. Probably with good reason. <laughs> it's so funny because like now I'm in the game, you know, and and just I'm I'm a comic book maker, mm-hmm. so I have to be kind of like I can't I can't express like all of my thoughts and feelings about that can't, kind of thing. Can't be too honest, right? <laughs> yeah, like you just um, skirt well, that. Man. Well, throughout so throughout this the, the the process, which I guess we're um, coming into a year, because I think it was it was really first like the first press release came out last summer, right? Yeah, uh, San Diego. Yeah, San Diego. Mm-hmm. So um, in the in the last year, I mean, have you gotten uh, feedback from like past creators, current creators? I mean, I, I know you spend a lot of time with with Claremont. Um, anyone else like throw their hat in the ring just to say like, 
hey, I like what you're doing, or hey, you know, just to offer anything or ask questions or and ever hear from anybody? Not really. No. Uh, it was. It's been a real pleasure getting to hang out with Chris Claremont, who was mm-hmm. the writer of the series for about. 17 years of like the like the most crucial mm-hmm. uh era of x-men uh you know all the all the movies are kind of based off of stories that he wrote to sit down and, and have these conversations with him is it's it's pretty fun um in a lot of ways i i never bring up my comic i don't ask if he's ever read it in a lot of ways i feel like he kind of shouldn't <laughs> because i i act as if as if i'm dating his daughter or something <laughs> you know what i mean it's like this is his baby right. yeah, yeah, and i'm i'm grabbing it by the reins and, and kind of doing my thing with it man so it's like mm-hmm. it's just uh the elephant in the room so to speak or whatever but i just you know i am and forever hope to stay in the mindset of being a student of this form so as a student you shut your mouth you open your ear holes and you mm-hmm. and you accept this wisdom of of somebody who has the scar tissue mm-hmm. to give you some 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 you know strong advice right uh so that's the that's the manner in which you know i handled these these uh encounters with with chris but the second genesis uh miniseries is going to start with giant size x-men you know the introduction nice. of Storm and Wolverine to the to the team, Colossus, Nightcrawler, like the primo mm-hmm. content. Yeah, you know the first issue is going to um, encompass the introduction of this new the new team and the death of Phoenix in in, in forty one pages. You know, see how wow. the magic is done. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like something like fifty issues of of material oh called God. called down into a very tight, very lean forty page comic story. Oh wow! So that must have been a real exciting moment when you finally were able to dive into that material. Like, yeah, that's sort of what I was what I was getting to. It's like you know, you issue two of this thing. It was a ball. It was fun, but it was way more of an editorial exercise because I had to. I had to make sense of of uh, some of that, <laughs> some of that, some of that nonsense. You know, like. There's there are some tough comics in that like that series at the time was kind of canceled for a reason right uh, so that would be like you know the vegetables of the meal or something and and it's like I'm just like you know biding my time like licking my chops getting yeah. ready to you know draw Wolverine and yeah and uh, <laughs> the stuff that that we really like most about the X Men because it's it's pretty much you know it wouldn't be controversial to say that you know like the John Byrne uh, Chris Claremont, you know Terry Austin era was like an incredible era oh, for yeah. for uh, for that series and probably for comics in general. There was no, nothing nothing else really that was coming out around that time that mm. could really touch it. So it was right. you know for all intents and purposes, if if we if we if we give context to like when those comics were coming out, they were you know the best comics on on the on the racks at the time. Yeah, yeah. well, and and that that creative team basically took like the lowest selling book and made it number one i mean for all intents and purposes like it raised yeah it up, it was i mean out of obscurity to to superstardom let's take reprints and mm-hmm. remaster you know kind of thing it's uh <laughs> it's a it, it, there are very few in mainstream comics 
Uh, now, keep in mind, I am a Fantagraphics snob, <laughs> so I have a, a very specific standard of like what good comics is. And uh, for all intents, like that run with Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin, Tom Morzakowski lettering, and Glennis, pick your surname, Glennis Ween, Glennis Oliver. <laughs> uh, that is one of the very few great collaborations in mainstream comics. There, there might be a handful of great collaborations in mainstream comics. Uh, maybe there are a handful with maybe you know a couple extra fingers, but I, I can't I can't name ten great collaborations mm-hmm. uh, in mainstream comics where everybody is firing on all cylinders yeah. and working with synergy. Right. right. Because uh, especially back in those days. Largely a, a male, a male uh, dominated um, medium, and you really would get the sense when you read these old comics that the creators are almost—they're just trying to outshine one another rather than work in harmony. You know, the writer overwrites, the penciler over pencils, mm-hmm. the the inker's got to add his flair to it, <laughs> and it's, it really is like a. Um, uh, what what are the language parameters of this of this? Oh, uh, uh, you can let it fly. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of a tactful <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, you get the sense that that everybody's trying to show off is what I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, they, they that was a very harmonious bunch of comics, and then you also have to think about the context of of um, of the work that that creative team with John Byrne that 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 the sheer the sheer amount of that body of work is incredible mm-hmm. um the the days of future past the oh, phoenix yeah. saga that's that material comes out in like issue one, 130 to like say 137 for the phoenix and then and mm-hmm. then uh days of future past is issue 141 142 yeah. yeah they started working together on issue 108 they wow. were working together for 3 years wow. before before they they so well I mean a lot of that clicked a lot of it was yeah, cool sure but when they really 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 gelled they had three years to work with each other to get to that place where they could kind of riff finish each other's sentences and 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 all all of that you know they came together and they put together not one but many legendary runs of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I can't see any other way for that to to be accomplished, with the exception of maybe um, having direct access to between creators, where it's like we could look over each other's shoulder, yeah. and together maybe we can make something great. Um, but you know, playing phone tag and and um, having an editor be the middle middleman, where where mm-hmm. you know script is sent to this guy, and then he sends the script with some notes to a penciler who then translates it. And then, you know, there's, there's no, there's no relationship there. Um, you know, mainstream comics de- uh, f- to a certain extent feel, feel cold to me. And, and perhaps that's why um, I know, I know um, some people who, who have, who have dabbled in, in, in the mainstream and uh, this, this one friend of mine, she, you know, would be submitting scripts, and uh, entire characters are changing. Like uh, the the artist drew 
a completely different character in place of like oh. what she had in mind. Oh. And I asked, like, well, like, you didn't call him and, and, yeah. and like, let him know? And she's like, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Oh wow! So oh, so it's geez. like they like to keep a little separation. I probably, I mean, if I had to, if I had to be a you know dick detective about it, um, maybe maybe at the corporate level they wanna they wanna kind of keep a little separation because what if what if Matt Fraction meets Chip Zdarsky while they're working on some kind of Marvel thing, and then they come up with an idea called Sex Criminals and then like. Take it to yeah. image. I'm not saying that that's what happened. I, I don't. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know those guys oh, in any way. Right. Okay. But I'm saying like, what if that's what if that's the the, sure. the, the gimmick? That they there? thought, yeah, keep them keep yeah. them apart. That way they can't like come up with their own. I'm Maybe. A, I'm a, I, yeah, that's. I'm a paranoid guy, man. No, but just, not be, a bad well, I mean, just it, because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not, watching. They're watching. <laughs> well, I, I guess. I mean, I, I guess if, if history shows us anything, I mean, that's kind of how image was formed. All these, you know, the that's the, true. The image creator, the you know, the founding fathers, all all worked. At Marvel together, and then they go off and they create, you know, arguably the you know the biggest or most popular, you know, uh, independent comics company in the past you know twenty five thirty years. It's an incredible yeah. company. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really remarkable just in terms of of media in general because there's no real profit motive behind that company. So as a creator, like one can really prosper in a big way. You know, they don't take ownership of film or tv mm-hmm. um right. they're just the vessel yeah and to, it, right to, to to get the comics out there and they make a nominal amount off of mm-hmm. off of uh you know the the, the 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 work that you put out through them and and um it's it's there isn't another company like that in in media you know that like imagine if there if there was a um if if a, there was a record label that was like that that was a successful record label mm-hmm. you would have more billionaire um musicians you know when there used to be a music industry and yeah. records were selling like crazy and <laughs> yeah. everything like yeah. that like uh you know you would have so image image seems like they treat it more like a studio instead of a, a business so like hey everybody not that they not you know not immediately in the physical sense but that everybody kind of has their creative they're just like this, this freedom there so. you know, they're 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 this Provider, it's almost like a built-in Zurich grant or whatever. Yeah, Do you yeah. guys remember the Zurich? Oh yeah, grant? yeah, yeah. yeah P- Peter Laird. Yeah. Peter Laird hits hits uh, a blockbuster with a little comic called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then becomes <laughs> insanely guilty about being a complete zillionaire that he just every couple of years, like like a like a, a couple of times a year, mm-hmm. you know, five or six people would get the Zurich grant for right. self-publishing, and he would he would peel them off a little five thousand dollar check or whatever <laughs> yeah, to, to just to just uh. Feel less guilty about about being. Uh, it's like survivor's guilt. Totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> Bless him. Bless him. You know, there's yeah. there's no less than three people in Pittsburgh who benefited from that thing. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Absolutely. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wayne. Wayne. Wayne Wise from Phantom. Got got Zurich Grant number one. That's right. First he one. was the first one. Yeah. Rachel Masalamani. Yes. RPM okay. Comics. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shioli. Yep. Myth of Eight Opus. Yep. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I was in high school yeah. when uh, Tom Shealy got that uh, got that uh, grant. Oh wow! And I had the uh, the, the Codex Pop um, mini comics that he was uh, doing, and, and like the the, the hand stapled, uh, I guess, a eight opus comics at the time. And then mm-hmm. and then you you would read in the few tra- trade publications or whatever who who were the recipients of um, 
the Zurich, you know, that for that quarter or that half a year or whatever it was, you know, being like Comics Buyer's Guide, which it, what was the weekly uh, newspaper? Um, oh, uh, Comic Shop News. Co- no, 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 no. Like, like bigger. Oh. Like tabloid. Um, uh, I think it was Com- Comics mm-hmm. Buyer's Guide. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah like uh, in there you would see, you would read articles about the recipient of like the newest uh, yeah. Xerix. And, and when Tom got it, and it said like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, like that that just blew my mind. It's like, oh, man, there's somebody who's actually making comics in this town. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we live in a very um, a very privileged time where, where niche – you know, cultures can can kind of find one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. are we are at this very moment. It's it's a uh, it's Monday, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Monday, yeah, it's Monday. Hot, hot, hot off the heels of uh, Anthrocon, <laughs> yeah, in uh, downtown downtown Pittsburgh. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the furries are able to find one another and, yeah. and decide on Pittsburgh. So it's like it's a really privileged time that we we live in because for probably the first 20 years of my life I don't think I talked about comics with with anybody right you know I, it was completely I so was, just something I kept to to myself in a way yeah i was the same way i was i was shocked and a little i felt almost bad when i when i finally did find the comics community i felt guilty for not having found it sooner like i should have <laughs> tried harder because it's not like i wasn't going to comic shops um i really wasn't going to um a lot of shows though it wasn't really until i met like uh scott and uh brian babiok and barry lane yeah we kind of I, I they were pretty much the ones that introduced me to pittsburgh comic-con like i i really had no concept of pittsburgh comic-con um and like i said it wasn't for lack of going to uh comic stores or i mean i was collecting comics from like 1986 until uh, present, but um, yeah, well, it was like when I found the comics community in Pittsburgh, I was like, "Where have you guys been?" Can you can yeah, you define can you define uh, a comics community? Because because I actually don't think I'm a part of it. Like like I know <laughs> like, I know. Well, well yeah, I, I guess I, I for me it's not so much like anything that's organized, but more like you know people that you can just meet and you gravitate towards. Like you know I I actually met Scott and. Brian through a mutual friend and it just and then we ran into Phantom of the Attic one day. I remember seeing and you guys at Phantom of the Attics for, for at least I mean, twenty years was, at this point. Right. Yeah. That was our Wednesday yeah. Wednesday nights every Yeah, every Wednesday. Every Wednesday for Yeah, week in and week out. Um but it was just uh like you said, I mean not specifically um I mean we did work together on some some comics and some comics projects and we'd get together and just do like you know all day drawing sessions and mm-hmm. hang out and but it was just um just being able to sit down with a with a bunch of guys and like we'd we'd get our comics and we'd go uh right down the street to lulu's noodles oh yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> you know order some food and we would just sit and talk about comics for two hours yeah and i never i hadn't had that since like junior high when when uh my friend's and I, you know, collected comics, and we didn't even really talk about them that much. Like we read them, we talked about what we liked. But we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of. of com- mm-hmm. It was almost like we didn't know how to discuss comics. It was <laughs> because until... it was a personal thing. Because I think because right. so long, well, plus, like through high school, you would read it and you would you put it away. You would think about it for yourself and not talk to anybody and, about and, it. And comics so. still had that stigma of being nerdy. Yeah. What, what is? You know? I'm I'm 35 years old. What what is? 
our age gap. Oh, uh, 46, 44. Yeah, yeah. So, so about 10 years, yeah. Yeah, give, yeah, we'll, give we'll say. Um, while, while I was coming up, there actually, like, there, there was, like, that stigma is gone. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah. because I am in, you know, third, fourth grade when, when, when image happens. Uh, Death of Superman is around that time period. And um, okay. the speculator boom. Okay, so the, the adults took so all the like, fun out of uh, like baseball the- card collecting <laughs> for little kids. And then they and then they left that that hobby just a, a dead husk, and they like locusts just jumped onto comics mm-hmm. and created that speculator boom um, that that I kind of grew up inside of. Yeah. And so many many kids were um, like I never I never was treated like a dork or whatever for messing with comics because even jocks. Uh, collected comics. I, I learned about Image Comics because of the football players at Still Valley High School oh, wow. who had... Yeah, d- definitely they, didn't have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they never opened the damn things, and they would get that weekly price guide thing, that Comic yeah. Buyer's Guide and, and Wizard Magazine, and then mm-hmm. they would you know calculate their net worth uh, week, <laughs> week in, week out by, uh, you know, by you know, how, how uh, much more valuable their issue of of brigade was worth uh, oh my God. Th- this week compared wow. to, to last week or whatever. So it's like I, I lived, <laughs> I came up through that. Uh, I, I never, I never knew, even knew about comic shops. But once again, those guys they didn't read the thing. But I'm, what I'm saying is they never made me feel bad for mm-hmm. for yeah. che- checking it out. Um, but until I was about 12, 13, um, I didn't even know about the existence of of comic shops period like i never thought to look in the yellow pages under c for comics or right. or anything it just it yeah. just never occurred to me uh because yeah. i just i kind of you know i had access to plenty you know just go to the grocery store with yeah. mom or whatever there'd right. be three or four or five spinner racks yeah uh you know rest in peace toys r us yeah uh, there would be there would be a section you know it, it would generally be uh at least the one that was in west mifflin it would be on the the opposite side of where you would grab your pool tabs for video games. You oh, remember, right. like, you, yeah. like you, there would be, like, the little ticket that you yeah, would have yeah, to yeah. take to the front. Like, <laughs> I, I, w- I would like Blaster Master. And you pull the little paper <laughs> ticket, and you give it to them, and then they go in the back and, and get the damn cartridge for you. But, like, mm-hmm. on the direct opposite side of, like, the last video game uh, aisle would be the the, uh, the the comic section, which had very little foot traffic. You could tell. It was almost dark. It was almost, like, not light. <laughs> And all the comics were in disarray, but you know that's where I grabbed uh, comics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually, because this thing is celebrating a, a 25th anniversary, I actually remember what brought me into Phantom of the Attic for the very first time. Do you remember your your first comic shop uh, purchase? First, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Purchase? I'll tell you mine. I'll yeah, tell you, you mine. As first. <laughs> okay, so so. Uh, that, and it's not even a comic. The, the anime Ninja Scroll is celebrating its 25th anniversary release. That's 25th anniversary release in uh, in, in Japan. Uh, it came it came to America two years later in in its legal form. And the way that I was I discovered that anime was on uh, MTV. There was a there was a uh, every now and again they would do this. This uh, you know on like Memorial Day Labor Day they would have animation uh, marathons, mm. and where they would play like Liquid Television yeah. Yeah. and um, 
you know, the the head. Yeah, the oh, head and the max. The, the that, head and the max had yeah, that two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I think those would One, come later, punch. but like there was yeah. Brothers Grunt, yeah. and, and uh, you know they would have these animation things, with Speed Racer. Uh, but in mm-hmm. between, when they would uh, as bumpers, when they would get go to commercial, and when they come come back from commercial, they would just show a little snippet from Ninja Scroll, and it blew my mind so much. I've never seen anything that looked, you know, like. In America, beautiful animation was consigned to like Disney stuff, and that shit is corny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I, I could care less about ta- talking tea- teacups and all that. <laughs> yeah. um, but to see incredibly beautiful animation with dudes with swords and crazy weapons and you know things that I was into, that blew my mind. So at the end of every show during that uh, that marathon, uh, it would, they would run the credits for the show, and then there would be a separate like very small little credit section for for the ninja scroll bits you know these five second things i needed it i had never seen anything so incredible and i that is when i busted out the yellow pages okay and you know i maybe i looked up animation first and it said animation c comics or something like that and then i'm like what are you kidding me (laughs) uh went to comics started calling eyes and uh in, in phantom and i called these shops every single day for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just a totally insane over this thing. It's the first time I ever kind of investigated something for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I sort yeah. of pride myself on unearthing really weird stuff. And that was the first time I really, like, started to, you know, not accept that everything worth having is that century three mall (laughs) or something you know what i'm talking about um so eventually i would call you know every couple of days or something and eventually they were like yes it's gonna be here three months you know because (laughs) because you know you got you got the the, the previews uh, thing or whatever you know the (laughs) distributor guide right it'll be here in three months and that three months was was uh not not too much earlier than my birthday uh, whatever year that it was 1993 um, so that is the first purchase I made from Phantom of the Attic wow. which would be the first purchase I made from a comic shop and I was born in 1982 so I was like 11 years old you know like about to, about to turn yeah. 12 oh my yeah I'm trying to think back well I, I kind of had a combination of of experiences so um, I did go to Ides when it was, and it, do you remember? Ed, do you remember its old location? Uh, it was always like when I was a kid. It was on the corner. It was so I, I don't remember Federal Street or anything like okay. that. Okay, because I when I first went there, it was it was still on Penn Avenue, but it was further, further down Penn Avenue in, in what's now yeah. known as like the Cultural District. Oh, really? Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like the one that was like just three doors down. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, no. I never knew about that location actually. And it was a. Uh, I, I never thought of it as a actual like a com- I mean I knew they had comics I never thought of it as a comic book store because they had literally everything there and everyone was there buying vinyl and movies and magazines and comics um, but I, I, I guess I, I never thought of it I never considered it a comic book store I just thought oh it's this cool place that mm-hmm. carries comics um, and then at uh, Parkway Center Mall <laughs> Nice. Uh, was that fan of the attic. But before it actually had a storefront, it was like, it almost had like this flea market vibe where it was like 
in it was like there was a space cut into a wall, and they just had up like some folding tables, and like a little table with a cash register, and they had some racks with comics. It wasn't even like a proper store; like they had no door. There yeah. was no, you know, I don't know what they did every night if they just threw sheets over it or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever the hell. Um, and then finally, um, in the Jeez, when was this? I guess late 80s, um, maybe like 89, 90. Uh, Time Tunnel opened yeah. up in Castle Shannon, which was um, less than a mile away from, from my house. Oh. And I can't remember Man. specifically <laughs> what I started buying there, but um, that was, I mean, that was my place. I mean, you know, if during the summers, like, if my mom tried to find me, she knew to call the comic book store <laughs> because we would just be there like we'd get up my friend would call me he's like hey I'm, I'm heading to the time tunnel I'm like I'm, I'll meet you there and we would just hang out we'd read comics we'd buy our comics we'd then we um, started getting into magic yeah. magic the gathering we started playing that and we would be there all day you know stuff like that but yeah that was my place and then uh, it wasn't until the early 2000s when I discovered uh, Phantom yeah. in Oakland which I, I had been to a couple of times but then I actually started uh, working in Oakland and I would just go there either on my lunch or I would stop after work. Man, I'm thinking back, but I... Uh, I, was, I remember seeing you definitely for 20 years at least, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Into the 90s. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually got to Pittsburgh in 95 and was hitting all the stores then. But before that, um, I I actually have to give probably give credit to my mom more than anybody else for getting me into comics because... She worked in a craft shop right beside the newsstand in my hometown. And so she, you know, it was like, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, they would put the new books out. And she would grab, you know, Star Wars, Transformers, and G.I. Joe for me every week. And, um, you know, that was that was my thing. You know, like, that's what I wanted at the time. And then um, immediately upon employment, like when I was 16... I dove into um, the Inferno storyline from X Men, <laughs> and I bought every crossover that like that month or two, three months or whatever it was. I bought every single one, and then that kind of launched me into um, buying everything. Like you know, just growing out from there. But um, my first actual comic book store was probably about a year after that, and I went to um, uh, Patty's Paperbacks in Penn State, and long gone long gone mm-hmm. store now and there they may or may not have a location in lock haven as well or it was another store but my a friend of mine from high school made a journey and we stayed at his aunt's house so that we could specifically go to the comic book store <laughs> and i picked up i remember picking up um uh, i think i was trying to get back issues of excalibur which i had i had started buying it with issue four and so I was like, I have to get the first three. And then I realized that there were, you know, the Captain Britain trades. And I was like, well, I have to get those too, you know. And it was like mm-hmm. that's – and then I started working backwards, I think, at that point. And then, yeah, I mean, X-Men uh, was a huge influence uh, starting out for me, I would say. But, uh, yeah, Inferno just – yeah, I mean, literally just lit it up for me. So <laughs> I was like, I got to – I remember yeah, really no, loving the, uh, the the Daredevil issues of Inferno drawn by uh, John, oh, John Romita Jr. That's what hooked and, me. Uh, yeah. That's exactly it. And Al Williamson Inkin. And Al Williamson Inkin. Inkin. And Nocenti on the writing chores for that Spe- thing. Speaking of a good, yeah, like a good team, that was a, that was a great era. They did, they, uh, they, they were kind of thinking, like, how do you top Frank Miller at that time? And they came out with a solid, 
like a solid run. Yeah, I like so. it. I like it. I uh, when when I was a kid, st- starting to get insanely serious about drawing comics, I would I would copy uh, whole issues of. Of, of comics that I liked, mm-hmm. and there was the the one uh, issue of Daredevil from, from that period where where uh, the splash page is he's he's running and there's all this paper blowing around and he's like it's a dream sequence and he's standing on like a pipe and there are all these kind of uh, nuclear reactor exhaust uh, uh, chimneys like yeah. all around. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I I drew that whole issue. I still have two pages oh, of it. Man. Like like I'll uh, I share them one. On Facebook every now and then. In fact, That's in fact, uh, uh, Jim Rugg was just at the house yesterday, and, and we were going through um, some artist editions, and and that that batch of issues came up um, because because there's I, I got this one artist edition, um, which for the people at home who don't know, or it's like this new format of of book that has been introduced into the comics industry maybe five years ago, where. Um, the idea is that they, being the publisher, scan every like you know a, a mass of pages at their original size in color, so that you see all the flaws and imperfections and mm-hmm. brush strokes and eraser marks and pencil yeah. pencil uh, marks uh, of of the original piece of artwork. It would right. look the same in this book as it does on a gallery wall or in person. Yeah, uh, and I—it's a big addiction of mine. Um, I, I, I adore these things. They're so instructive. I, 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 uh, I look at them as uh, you know biblical tablets. They are massive, or something. Mm, as well. uh, but one of the newest ones I got is uh, Marvel covers from uh, the coast called Modern oh. Day or something. And yeah. there were and there was like uh, some J.R. J.R. Nice. Typhoid Mary era Daredevil yeah. co- uh, cover. So so then yeah. like I b- had to bust out. I'm like, yeah, man, check it out, <sighs> dude. I, I redrew this one when oh, I, in, in 1995. Awesome. Those are always fun to, and I, I know the one you're talking about because I think we, um, we got a, a preview copy of it from IDW. Nice. And I, I spent just a, like a couple hours just going through it, and um, w- what you don't see anymore because uh, so many artists do, no, no, do it digitally. Yeah. Is you don't see, you know, errant or stray pencil marks. You don't see white out. You don't see. There's no ta- tangible. There's no pastebacks. There's no like. There's look, no paper. Yeah, like you, you can see where they paste up the 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 book's logo or where the the corner cover art's supposed to go and yeah, you just I, I miss that stuff. Yeah, uh, it's you know uh-huh. I was telling my guys like when I when there's a movie that's out. Like I just go see it. Like I don't. I don't really. I don't call anybody, mm-hmm. and like try to make a whole thing out of it, because it's like I'm not like we're not going to sit there and talk to each other anyhow. So like, right. what, what do I care? Like I'm just going to mm-hmm. go see what I want, and and I don't need to like go to art shows for a social aspect. So that's what those books are to me. It's like my own personal art show. Uh, so when I'm in the mood or when I have some time, because they are a time distortion device if there ever was one, because when you pull one of those things out of their cardboard box, kiss three hours away <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have to be choosy when I break them out. Yeah. But when I do, I'm there for hours. And, and I just through osmosis, I feel like when I close the book again, I'm walking away a better artist just from – 
Well, well you even right. said they're 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 educational. They are them, for the most part. I mean, they're yeah. It's like you're you're getting, you know, if you open one of those up, you'll see like in the margins and you'll see notes like handwritten, you know, just like you get this you know this inside uh, knowledge or this uh, you know of, of what they were thinking or what they were trying to do on that page at that time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know, it's at, at every level. So if there's an artist you like, you're taking a look at, at their work at 100% the size that the art is. Mm-hmm. So if you want to achieve something similar and you have a certain set of tools that you use for, say, inking or something like that, and it's like, okay, I am not achieving as skinny a line as he's using right here. And I've been tr- chasing this line. You know, I think a, a lot of cartoonists, that's, that's kind of like, a part of uh, it's not the most important part, but it's definitely one of those things where everybody's kind of chasing their perfect line and yeah. trying to figure out how to <laughs> how to uh, you know yeah. the, the proper tool to, to achieve yeah. those ends and uh, you know like that can help with that a little bit so like that's just like but one of the many reasons why I uh, pour over those things man mm-hmm. um, but you know I have like twenty of them at this point. And it's like, what do you do? Like, where where do you stack them? <laughs> so ultimately, like, if if we were to uh, go on location uh, and we were to like travel to to my to my place, yeah, you know, I work from home, but you would see no evidence of the place where we're at being any kind of dwelling. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is a my house is a comic book making factory. Yeah, like I am all in yeah you know mm-hmm. i totally dedicate myself to this craft and if you pop in the in the crib it'll show like there's no couch because then <laughs> i can't like put my giant racks that i have like all my like, yeah. long boxes but, and stuff and i it's just important for me to surround myself with inspiration right you know so mm-hmm. i'll spend a big part of comics and comics making is um is looking at comics, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, just mm-hmm. like seeing seeing what's out there. Seeing, you know, if we if we are all uh, if we are all endeavoring into kind of like growing and evolving, the only way that you do that is to take the best of what has been presented before, slough off the garbage, and then do your own presentation. Mm-hmm. You know, try to like learn from the past, do your own presentation. Invariably, it's, you're going to include your own mistakes, mm-hmm. but in order to push things forward, you take from what's been handed down, and then you build on top of that. And I don't know how else you can do that without surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with that kind of material. Uh, you know, it's like being a DJ or something. I equate it with that in a lot of ways, where it's like I'm surrounded by my by my records, and. Um, Every now and then, there's a, there's a panel or two that 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 comes up, and and it's like, well, how do I, how do I accomplish this in an interesting way? Well, you know what? There was that one Gene Colan issue of Daredevil <laughs> that that, that uh, you know he he you know at least in my mind's eye, it sort of was like this. So then you pull that out, you go down that rabbit hole for an yeah, hour, yeah. and then and then you have a new visual tool set to yeah. uh, to attack the page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like big part of my process. Yeah. Makes sense. The hip hop comic actually made it made me more comfortable doing that because I was studying hip hop and, and, and DJ culture and just the idea of sampling and how 
the end result of a rap record is completely divorced from the source material. It is a new thing. So why not, you know, take this Mobius tree that he drew and, Mm -hmm. you know, Arzach or whatever. And, you know, that could kind of go here. Um, You know, the way way Jaime Hernandez drew male figures' eyeballs at, like, a certain distance in... 1983 because because it, oh. it was different from like 1985 <laughs> yeah like maybe i'll use i like the way those eyes looked like that that is, that is what my style is it's yeah. just my own like it's it's my own kind of perverse version of mm-hmm. you know this conglomeration of like all my favorite cartoonists yeah you know just like still because i'm i am uh an admitted kind of slow learner like it, it takes me a long time like I kind of meander and I daydream and you know I'm I'm I don't think I would be diagnosed like like ADHD or anything like that but I'm I just I am a slow learner it takes me a long time to figure stuff out right. I acknowledge this <laughs> um so why not steal from the best yeah. yeah you know take a couple take a couple uh you know NES cheat codes man and and, <laughs> and uh you know push forward that way well I think I heard you I don't know if it was on another I might have listened to you on another uh, podcast or maybe it was an interview or something I read. But um, I remember you talking about uh, in the last issue of Grand Design some of your influences in that issue. And I, I remember, like, you were talking about it, and I was I, – I'm, I'm blanking now. So maybe you can fill me in. But I was I remember going through that issue and, like, oh, yeah, I can see that. And that, you know. There's a really good one in here. Um, can, can I check the yeah, thing yeah. out? And we're, yeah, it's a little delayed there, but yeah. you'll see it. So let me hold this up, and Dan, you tell me if it can, it's visible. Uh, we want we want uh, this panel, this one over here, I think. Yeah, I can see it. It's uh, oh, it's this. Yeah. Okay, this panel. You see mm-hmm. the the kissing couple right there? Yeah. That is taken from a Saturday Evening Post Norman Rockwell cover. <laughs> um, you know, I needed like a colonial looking guy. And a mademoiselle, you know, embracing. <laughs> and I'm, like, searching all over the place, like, trying to find something that would work. And there was, there was just a perfect Norman Rockwell Saturday Evening Post cover that, that handles. So it's, like, it goes beyond comics. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's Katsuhiro Otomo, Akira uh, in, in there. There's there's Erge, uh Tintin in there. Mm-hmm. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah, there's... um. There's uh there's a little Mobius piece, man. Like uh, if I have to draw castles, I'll take a look at how how Foster delineated castles in pen and ink in, from in his How Foster, uh, excuse me, in his uh, in his Prince Valiant comics. Like I'll do that. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, maybe you know like I, I I won't necessarily if I look at a photo of a, of a castle, I don't know that I would come up with such interesting details or something like I have kind of a soft focus you know quite quite blind in a lot of ways like you know my prescription is thick (laughs) so I just won't see a lot of detail and things Um, but yeah it's like a DJ hey guys thanks for listening to the first part of our conversation with Ed Pisker stay tuned next week for part two In the meantime, you can find more episodes of Comic Book Pit at comicbookpit.com. 
on iTunes, and on Stitcher. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course on sorgatronmedia.com.